This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. everyone and welcome to Making Space a Diversity Dialogue. I'm your host Cole and this is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. Now I really would like to preface this episode um, before we get too far into this topic by saying that we are going to have a sort of discussion. There might be a mention of sex and sexual assault. So if those topics are sensitive to you, please take the time you need. Uh, If you can't listen in, you can join us next episode. You know, um, just take the best care of yourself that you can. And it's always okay to leave if you need to. But now that we've discussed that part, I'll get into the topic for the episode, which is consent. We'll go over some uh, commonly published things about consent, the common notions we have about consent, as well as why teaching consent early is a good idea and why consent is important and how you even get started with teaching consent and how you relearn yourself what consent really is and how to reteach yourself how to go about uh, permission asking and personal boundaries and all of that. But my guest for today, the one helping me out, is Karis Thedford from Tarleton's Student Counseling Services. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role here at Tarleton? Yes, I sure will. I'm the Assistant Director in Counseling Services, and in that role, I oversee our substance abuse and violence prevention efforts for campus. And then I also carry, I'm a licensed counselor, and I carry a clinical caseload. And um, even that phrase, substance abuse and violence prevention, is mm-hmm. pretty broad. Um, and so when we're talking, especially about violence prevention, what we're really talking about are the forms of violence that are based in power and control, sexual assault, domestic violence. We sometimes call that intimate partner violence or dating violence and stalking. And we know that all three of those forms of violence are connected. Mm -hmm. Um, And even those terms cover a really broad range of behaviors. But um, I work on the prevention side. So helping our community think about and understand how these acts of violence happen in our community, how we create a safe and healthy community, how we reduce the rates of violence, how we look out for each other and keep each other safe. So what are what are some things that you've done? Is it through the community as a whole, like Stephenville, or is it just specifically Tarleton or Tarleton students? Good question. So my focus is the campus, but I work really closely with our local victim services agency, Cross Timbers Family Services um, in Texas. Um, In every county, there is an agency that provides services for victims and prevention services that are funded through um, our state governor's office. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that's Cross Timbers Family Services in um, Fort Worth and Tarrant County. I work quite a bit with One Safe Place. Um, And so I collaborate pretty regularly with different community partners, but my primary focus is on our campus. And some of the things we've done um, during the time I've been in this role, we've launched um, bystander training for campus and had a really beautiful response from our community as we've um, engaged our community in those trainings. I do a lot of 
trainings and conversations and classrooms about just a wide range of topics from what we're talking about today, consent to healthy relationships and um, early warning signs of domestic violence and sometimes kind of peeling back the layers of these different forms of violence. What does this really mean? How do these things begin? What are the early warning signs we can all look for so we can interrupt it if we see indicators that there might be a problem? Um, I sit on our campus Title IX committee that's um, chaired by our campus Title IX coordinator, Darren Keith. Um, Our offices work really closely together. I work a lot with our campus police department. So a, a lot of different initiatives. Our office oversees some of the bigger initiatives that we do during October for Domestic Violence Awareness Month and April for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, so just lots of different things throughout the year. Right, right. Oh, that's great. That, that seems like great work. Does it, um, is it often like seen well by by students? Is it taken well? Or, or do you see a lot of change when you uh, do those classes or work presentations and I, I feel like the work is pretty well received most of the time. Um, I've seen some really beautiful things come out of some of our conversations and the training we've done around campus. Um, you know, just some examples, a number several years ago when we first launched the bystander training model we were using at that time, um, several of the students who went th- through that program turned around and put things into action um, on campus and with the different communities they were connected with based on having been through that training. And so, for example, one of our graduates um, became the editor of the JTAC and invited me to write some guest columns and share information through the JTAC. That was a really cool outcome of him having participated in our bystander training. it was a student who started our Teal Tuesday initiative that became oh, really the, popular. The teal t-shirts, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that really took hold in a way that I didn't really anticipate. Um, <laughs> a student came up with that idea and I was like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. That gives us a, a kind of this visual component to our outreach efforts mm-hmm. during April and a way to start conversations. And our campus embraced that and ran with it. Um, Definitely. And it's, yeah. I still been, think about those. I I still have my, um, I think it has a purple poo on it that says, uh, like, oh, yeah, the, yeah. The awareness or, or something. It's, yeah, those shirts were very popular. I, 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 mean, <laughs> I think we did like those two years ago yeah they were really popular Um, it's it's good to see i didn't honestly i didn't make the connection with your role and something like teal tuesday and and the work you guys do in april so i'm glad to actually kind of put faces and and names with that kind of work and it's not something we always think about we we kind of pass by topics like this we pass by april like oh yes we need to be aware of Mm -hmm. of those sorts of things but we don't really dive into them. And that's that's kind of where I want to go with this episode specifically about consent. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to first kind of go over just very, very brief. I did a little, a little bit of research on this part, uh, the history kind of behind the concept of consent. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to get to vocabulary words before we get to the big major questions. So very first, the history part. So consent and the concept of consent can kind of be traced back through laws and policies back to the 1500s when when young girls were able to, quote, consent uh, to marriage between Mm -hmm. a man and woman. Um, The ages around 10 to 12 was actually the, the first kind of age range for consent there. But when we're talking about consent now, we're really talking about 
what we've seen following the Me Too movements mm-hmm. and that, that social movement saying, like talking about bodily autonomy and being able to um, give consent to other people about what is what kind of activities you're you take place in or participate in. And the first vocabulary kind of words I want to go over are the sexual consent, Mm because that's the the big one people talk about. I have kind of a definition I've written out and then we can discuss what you really think um, with your professional okay, and sure. expertise, what you really think it should mean or that telling the listeners what it is. So I have down that consent is an agreement or sexual consent as an agreement between participant to engage in sexual activity. Is that is that in the realm? Yeah, I think that's a, a good and very kind of broad way to think about yes, it. Yeah. It's very broad. Yeah. And, you know, I think you you said something important earlier. You said consent is a concept and mm-hmm. um and, and then you kind of narrow down to sexual consent. So I'm gonna go backwards a little bit sure. and kind of revisit that the concept of consent isn't new. And it's something really that most of us already practice and engage in in a pretty healthy way. And we haven't maybe thought about it Mm -hmm. until some of these things that you've talked about. So as a society, I think we started paying more attention to the topic of violence and particularly sexual violence as student victims started bringing lawsuits against their schools Mm -hmm. under Title IX um, a number of years ago because they'd been harmed by another student, reported it in their school's either didn't do anything or didn't respond appropriately and didn't hold the person who caused harm accountable. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we have seen over the last several years, some very public cases as um, with, you know, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Jeffrey Epstein, Larry Nassar, you know, we've seen these very high profile um, cases come to light. Some have had a criminal component, some have had civil um, and everything in between. And then, um, you know, of course, kind of overlapping with that, then the Me Too movement. So, you know, we've had these things happen in our culture that have really drawn our attention to that and challenged us to wrestle with how in the world did this happen? How, and especially with these specific cases that I mentioned, where Mm -hmm. we're talking about people who have this serial predatory behavior, how did that happen? How were they allowed to do that for so long? How were they able to keep their victims silent for so long. And we've had to grapple with that. Um, And some good things have come out of that. These aren't comfortable topics to talk about. They're not not, fun to talk about, but also some really important things have come from that. Um, And so consent now, when we think about consent, I think we tend to kind of attach that to sex and sexuality. And that's not a bad thing. But consent really is just in interactions between two or more people, for that matter, It's this concept of communicating and talking about what we're doing and talking about sort of boundaries and limitations and making a decision about are we going to move forward with what we're doing or not and being free to walk away from it or to engage and, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you heard me say earlier, I'm a licensed counselor. And in, in my field, in the mental health field, we have this concept we call informed consent that has nothing to do with sex. Um, I I definitely have heard that before, especially like healthcare wise. Absolutely. Yes. So within um, the mental health field, healthcare, the legal field, um, it looks a little different in each field, but every 
licensed profession with any of those fields has this informed consent practice. And so as a counselor, when I have a new client, um, first of all, they're going to see information about consent in their paperwork. But then I'm going to talk to them about here's what the counseling process is. Here's how I approach it, kind of my theoretical orientation, how I approach it. What we talk about is confidential, but there are some limitations to that. And we're going to talk about what those limitations are so that my client knows as we begin our conversation, here's what I can and can't keep completely private. And it's not many things that I would break confidentiality for, but there are a few and they're pretty right. similar from one profession to another, right? Like disclosures of child abuse. You have to report that even in the legal field. We think about, you know, a, um, a, attorney client privilege. Yes, um, that, that is applied a lot, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about counseling. You think, oh, well, you know, on TV, yes, they're, they're not allowed <laughs> to say anything if I don't want them to, mm-hmm. which is true most of the time. But there are some limits to that. So, like, I'm going to explain that to my clients so they know that. And so they know, you know, if one of these few topics comes up, that could mean, depending on the situation, that I can't keep your information completely private. So there aren't any surprises. Um so they understand how I approach counseling and they have a chance to ask questions. And then again, they can choose to continue and to engage in the process or they can say, nah, no, thanks. It's not for me. <laughs> and, and that's ongoing. Right. So my, you know, I may meet with a client for an initial session and we have a really good session and we make an appointment for them to come back in a week and they are free to choose whether or not they come back to that session because they're an adult and they have autonomy and mm-hmm. they don't have to come back. And so, you know, that's kind of in, a, again, a realm that has absolutely nothing to do with sex, but it's the same when we're talking about right. um, intimacy and um, sex and any of its many forms, kind of any kind of sexual activity. It's all about communication mm-hmm. and being respectful, even in a casual encounter, even in a casual hookup, being um, mindful boundaries entering into those interactions in a respectful and a healthy way. There's a healthy way to have a casual hookup. There's a healthy way to have a long-term relationship and everything in between. I like the, I like the concepts you had started to bring up about boundaries and almost rule setting because the next couple of things are going to be uh, bodily autonomy Mm -hmm. and uh, personal boundaries. So you kind of gave some good example of what you would see as like a, a, boundaries so mm-hmm. rules rules that you set aside for your your clients or the way it has to go from the exchange from counselor to client mm-hmm. those are rules and boundaries and personal boundaries from what i have here are just limits or rules set for ourselves and others like uh within relationships within relationships so i think we've kind of talked about that we fit in that yeah. um one thing i did add from the other research that i've done our personal boundaries, we, we put up personal boundaries to protect our minds, bodies and emotions from others. And, and that could mean trauma from pa- from the mm-hmm. past, yeah. from the past. So um, what what can you kind of say about personal boundaries to the listeners? I could probably talk about that for about three hours, which <laughs> um, nobody wants to listen to. You know, I talk a lot in my clinical work with clients about boundaries and about healthy boundaries. And honestly, really, even before I was in the counseling center, I was in career services at Tarleton. Right. And often as I was engaged in career counseling with students, and one of the things 
um, one of the tools we would use was the Myers-Briggs type indicator oh, assessment. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. I yeah. can't remember my letters, but I remember <laughs> taking it. Yeah. And so often as I was going through that and talking about what these things mean and um, what it means, you know, to a student, sometimes the discussion would come up about relationships and about boundaries. So, you know, I talk a lot about boundaries and about healthy boundaries. Um, some of us do a really beautiful job of setting boundaries and honoring boundaries. And some of us struggle with that for a lot of reasons. You know, if you're a people pleaser, um, setting boundaries might be challenging. If you're, you know, the person that all your friends come to um, when they need a shoulder to cry on or somebody to listen to, that can be a really beautiful thing. But that might also mean you need to think a little bit about having some boundaries so that you're taking care of yourself and of your business. And, you know, there's some socialization that comes into play with this a bit, too. And, you know, without going down too many rabbit holes, um, certainly sometimes we see some gender differences with this where sure. um, women are often encourage more so than young men to, you know, be good listeners. And that doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily come naturally, but there's certainly mm -hmm. some socialization there as well of being giving and being compassionate and right. empathetic. Your and boundaries almost, if we're talking in the form of boundaries, right now, your boundaries almost have to be a little more lax if you're a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I think there's an expectation of that and there's value sometimes, you know, for women to kind of relearn putting healthy boundaries in place. And that can also mean not only learning how to set boundaries, but the second piece of that is learning how to be okay if somebody doesn't like a boundary that you put in place. If you're the friend that's always available and somebody in your friend group has really latched on and you're their person they always come to you and they're telling you all this stuff that's beyond really your capacity to deal with and like maybe you've tried to encourage them it might be helpful to go talk to somebody but they don't want to because they're really comfortable with you yes if you put a boundary in place and make yourself less available um your friend might not like that mm -hmm. that might really upset them and they might you know you might see that and also that's not your problem. Um, that's a hard thing to think about. Yeah. And I, I'm definitely that person that's like, well, they're upset, so we should just we should just talk about it anyway sure. or, or things like that. So I completely understand that that hesitation to set boundary there. Yeah. And that's a conversation I have a lot because, you know, a lot of us like we're empathic and we're caring and, you know, we don't want to shut somebody down if they're struggling. And and again, that's not bad or wrong, but um, that piece about being okay if you need to put a boundary in place with somebody and that somebody doesn't like it at the end of the day that is that somebody's problem right and it's not your problem that can be really hard if you're people pleaser and mm -hmm. and if you like people and you're sort of used to you know being that empathetic friend um the first time you kind of put those boundaries in place that can really be challenging and it's also worth it so that you have the time and the energy to take care of yourself and to focus on your school and your social life and your hobbies and um, to not give everything that you have away and there's nothing left for you at the end of the day. Right, right. That's that's very important. That's, that kind of goes over why personal boundaries are important. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure that you protect yourself and, and you take care of yourself first. I know that's a 
a big thing that we talk about in any sort of mental health care. We had an episode about mental health care um, recently where we talked about, you know, you have to put yourself first and it's not a selfish thing to do, but make sure that you uh, are healthy and Absolutely. personal boundaries are important. Yeah. And they're important in intimacy as well. Um, you know, we've kind of talked about sort of generally and, and kind of within friendships, but Again, it doesn't really change when it comes to sex and intimacy. Right. Um, you want to be able to communicate with your partner and to check in with them and to let them know if you want to try something and see if they're open to it. Or if you really don't want to try something and being OK <laughs> with saying, no, no, you know, that's not my cup of tea or, uh, right. I, you know, I just don't feel like it. So, you know, we want to be able to do both things, to be able to articulate our own boundaries and speak up for ourselves, but also to pay attention to and really make sure we are respecting our partner's boundaries as well. So I'm going to just hop straight into the questions mm -hmm. because we've we've done a good job of hitting my points there. But why is asking consent important? Why? Why? <laughs> I know it, it seems like it should be an obvious answer, but why should we respect these boundaries that might be put up by a friend or a partner that are, are kind of new or or just asking consent for something? Yeah, that's a great question. And sort of the short, simple answer is if you want to have good sex, you want a partner who's into it, right? <laughs> true. <laughs> so if somebody is sexually active, if they're engaged in, and again, whether it's sort of a casual encounter or whether it's within a relationship, a normal, healthy person wants to do that with somebody else who's into it with them. You know, you think about like if your partner is uncomfortable, like a healthy person is not going to like that. They're not going to enjoy that. Right? right. We want somebody we want sex should be if it's healthy and if we're doing it right, it should be fun and it should feel good. And that can only happen if your partner is as enthusiastic as you are. <laughs> yes, right. That so makes, we, that makes sense. We, we, you know, we talk some out of our office about healthy sexuality, which is not a topic that we're necessarily real comfortable or familiar with. Um, when anything revolved around sexuality and sex, it's hard to talk about. Yeah, it's it hard sure to talk is. About. It is. Let's say that we kind of understand why consent is important and mm -hmm. why we should start asking for consent if we haven't already been doing so um, with partners, with sexual partners, with friends, what have you. When do we know to ask? When, okay. when should we ask consent yeah. for things? Um, great question. And I think, you know, a couple of things to kind of be aware of when we're thinking about consent and interactions. Again, I'm gonna come back to as human beings, we are hardwired for connection with other human beings. Mm -hmm. um, many of us have heard about this, these really cool things called mirror neurons, right? That there's this sort of this um, newish yes. area of discovery as we're learning more and more and more every day about the brain. And, you know, it's just one more piece of the puzzle of how we are wired to be tuned into other people. We are social creatures by nature. So most of us are pretty able to gauge another person's interest in us, whether or not they're into something. And again, even outside of sex, like, you know, if we ask a friend if they want to do something and we're with that friend in person, right? And we ask them if they want to do something like we can kind of tell most of the time from their facial expressions yes. and their body language, if they really are enthusiastic about what we're pitching to them or if they're like, Meh, you know, <laughs> let's go get a pedicure instead. I don't want to see that movie. It looks dumb. You know, like we can kind of right, see right. that on their face and in their body language. Um, and that's a super simple example. But, you know, 
we get weird about it when we think about this with sex, but the same is true. Like we can tell most of the time if somebody is into what we're doing or not. If there's certainly, if there's ever hesitation, because there may sometimes be situations where things really are kind of murky or we can't tell, it's important to check in, right? If we ever guess ourselves, if we ever second guess ourselves, it's important for us to just check in. Hey, is this okay? Um, Are you feeling okay? Do you want to stop? You know, any of those kinds of questions, just checking in and making sure that our partner is still into it. And we're giving them the chance if something has happened and they're wanting to back off of what we're doing, that we're giving them the chance to do that. Um, You know, I think one of the reasons the topic of consent has kind of gotten more attention and become a hot topic. And it is ultimately, I think it's a good thing that we're talking about consent and kind of challenging people to really think about more visible now. Yeah. Are you being sure that you're, you're checking in and you're honoring consent? But one of the reasons is when we hear about something as awful as a sexual assault, there's a very human tendency to want to believe that there must have been a misunderstanding. Somebody must have misread something. Right. Again, a healthy person isn't going to immediately jump to, oh, somebody's a predator because we don't think that way as right. healthy human beings. We, right? we want to try to make the connection with people and say, well, it, it was an accident. Absolutely. And there's some really intriguing research that indicates that one of the reasons we engage in victim blaming um, is for that very reason. We want it helps us to maintain our belief in a rational world where If something awful happens, it must be because somebody made a mistake, somebody let their guard down, like it can't possibly be be because somebody is actually predatory and enjoys causing harm. And that's very normal. It's not okay for us to blame victims. It's not okay for us to not let victims speak to us and hear their story and listen without judgment. It's not okay for us to act on that impulse. But it's also okay for us to understand that it's pretty normal for that to be sort of a first gut instinct of surely not. That means we're healthy in some ways, right? So right. we, we want to be careful about that. If we're aware of that dynamic, we can make sure if somebody does come to us and say, I've been hurt, that we don't blurt out something harmful. Right. Um, so it's important for us to be aware of that dynamic. But it's also helpful to know that that's a pretty normal tendency to want to believe that a mistake happened. Also, if somebody's accused of causing that kind of harm, they are going to say, I did not mean for that to happen. Of mm. course, I didn't intend to cause harm. Right. And again, certainly there are sometimes situations where there really is Just miscommunication right, or, miscommunication. you know, missed signals or whatever. But that is not always the case. But if I get accused of like, you know, if I left here today and you accused me of, I don't know, stealing something from this office, <laughs> I'm going to say, no, I didn't. I would never do such a thing. Of course, I wouldn't do that. Right. Um, right? And so like it's the same within this realm if somebody's accused of causing harm they're gonna say oh i i thought my partner was into i thought this was consensual Mm -hmm. um so if you make sure by asking and and checking in like you said checking in with your Mm -hmm. partner um to make sure that everything is okay you're clearing up that 
uh, miscommunication if there was any or sure. anything like that. You yeah, or if you did misread that. something, you're mm-hmm. you're making sure before you make an assumption. Really, is what it comes down to. We don't want to make assumptions and move forward doing something when maybe our partner really isn't comfortable with that. So when we're talking about consent, we're also talking about personal boundaries. Um, how do you go about, say you're in an already established relationship, how do you go about setting those personal boundaries if maybe things have happened before and you're like, yeah, I tried it then, but I don't really want to do that anymore. How do you set those personal boundaries? How do you start by doing that? Yeah, good question. I think kind of like you just said, um, speaking up and saying, look, I was willing to give this a try, but I didn't like it or I'm not comfortable with this. Being willing to speak up for yourself. And um, and again, sometimes it might be helpful to access something like counseling if, if a person really struggles with that. Um, it can be helpful to go get some help with that and to learn and kind of get some practice in that counseling environment of saying what you need, asking for what you need from a partner, talking about what your boundaries are so that your partner is clear and if you're doing your part as one half of that relationship to be really clear about what you like and don't, what you are and aren't comfortable with, hopefully your partner's receptive. But if they're not, that's a different kind of problem, mm-hmm. right? If your partner is not respecting your boundaries, if they're dismissive when you say, you know, I don't like this and they try it anyway, that's that's a red flag um, right. for some really unhealthy behavior. So I know we just talked about partners and you really have to think about your personal boundaries and if they're OK with you setting those personal boundaries. Hopefully they are. But what about outside romantic relationships? Who who should you set boundaries with? Uh, do you just set boundaries with your partner? Who else do you set boundaries with? Great question. You should set them with everyone. <laughs> we, you know, we want to have really healthy boundaries with everyone. I, um, your question makes me think about um, a uh, example from years ago when I was working in a different community and um, I supervised a group of um, volunteer um, advocates in this. Um, nonprofit that I worked for and they all had my cell phone number so that they could contact me because I traveled a lot and I was out of the office a lot. Anyway, one of them um, called me late in the evening and I answered my phone and I was talking with my supervisor about it later and I was like, you know, so-and-so called me and it really, it was not an emergency. It could have waited. I said, I answered and she said, and you reinforced that behavior. And I was like, (laughs) darn it. (laughs) Correct. I did. Um, And that was a lesson to me of how to, how to set back something as simple as not answering my phone when I am at home and on my personal time, not answering my email when I'm on my personal time, turning my phone off when I'm on vacation. Um, And I'm smiling because we just talked about before the podcast, but I just came back from vacation. So being unavailable when I'm on vacation and making, you know, in a professional sense, obviously making arrangements for while I'm gone, um, if one of my clients needs something or so forth. But like, I can be out of the office and the office is going to survive without me there. My colleagues can take time away and we can manage the office while they're gone Mm -hmm. so that they can be disconnected. Um, I'm really conscientious about 
and again, just kind of talking broadly about examples outside of, of relationships. Um, I try to be really conscientious that most of the time I'm not sending emails at some unreasonable hour because that kind of creates an implicit expectation of right. working at unreasonable hours. Yeah, we have this uh, tendency, especially now with social media mm -hmm. and the access to basically the world on our phones to this tendency to want instanticity, mm -hmm. which is the instant gratification of, oh, that person saw my message, so they should answer. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes even if I do like my um, my boss who was on this podcast, I think a few weeks ago was on vacation before I was um, and I sent her an email about something because we weren't going to see each other for a while. But the very first thing I said in it is if you're reading this, stop reading it. <laughs> it's not <laughs> urgent. I just want you to have this when you get back in the office because I'm not going to be here. And it was something I wanted to make sure she saw mm -hmm. before waiting until of I got course. back from my vacation. So, um, you know, I, I try to be really conscientious about those kinds of things. Um, you know, with family, um, hopefully, you know, the ideal situations we have healthy, loving relationships with our family members, mm -hmm. but even then, um, you know, sometimes it's important for us to have boundaries. If I don't know if your family, you've got a family member who's blowing up your phone at all hours of the day and night, maybe it's worth thinking about turning the phone off at a certain time, mm -hmm. um, being unavailable at a certain time. And, and again, thinking about how you navigate that with them. I was in the library and I was studying and I don't have great signal. I'm not going to be able to answer my phone when I'm in the library getting ready for a test. Um, your family member might not like that. But again, that's your family member's problem. Um, you know, so it's like sometimes we need to think about how we do that in some ways with our family. Sometimes we talked a little bit earlier. We need to think about that within our friendships of how available are we making ourselves um, in our professional lives? How available are we making ourselves and what are we expecting of other people? And is it really reasonable? Um, so kind of, again, always looking at both sides of that coin of honoring and respecting other people's boundaries and also monitoring my own so that I'm not burning myself out. Right. I, that, that's really important. I have a, I have a me specifically, I have a hard time with burnout. And, but now that we're talking about it, it's, it's time to like start retraining ourselves about how to really manage our own personal boundaries and other people's boundaries. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, because Maybe they have gotten to the step where they're okay with like, hey, I really have to turn my phone off now. I can't talk to anyone. I, I got to get back to this message when I am mentally and socially available to talk mm -hmm. to you. It's really important to retrain. And I think hopefully listeners will, will understand that too and understand those concepts. But something re kind of related to training and teaching about consent, you have taught a little bit with our age students, so college age students that um, 18 to 25-ish range, but now we're starting to see a little bit more of teaching about consent in younger kids. Mm -hmm. So as young as elementary, I found even, even like pre-K, um, why is it important to teach it so young? What are we actually talking about when we're talking about teaching it so young? Because, of course, like we said before, people start immediately when they hear consent. It's sexual consent. Mm -hmm. What are we yeah. actually teaching our kids that young about consent? 
Yeah, I love that question. Well, we're not teaching them about sex. That's always a concern, right? <laughs> yes, like there has definitely been some pushback as we've talked about sort of consent and young children and like we're not teaching them about sex, but we should be again, most of us like I, as parents or if we worked with one young children are talking to them about boundaries and we're not using that language necessarily, but it is important that we're teaching our young children to be respectful of other people's boundaries, but to have their own boundaries as well. And that can be as simple as, um, I have two daughters, they're 11 and eight now, so they're a little bit older, but oh, like when they yeah. were little, you know, we started young with like, maybe they have an argument and then one of them is over and wants to hug the other one and the other one is not over it yet. Um, <laughs> and something as simple as, hey, you know, Rebecca, your sister doesn't look like she wants to hug right now. I'm glad that you're feeling better and you want to talk to her, but she's not ready. So, hey, you want to come sit with me or you want to come do this thing with me? Maybe she'll want to talk later or maybe she'll want to give a hug later. So simple, but just modeling and reinforcing that, hey, this person doesn't want to do this right now. So you're going to have to manage that. You're going to have to figure <laughs> that out. Um, you have it, to and, manage your own emotions uh -huh, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've been really intentional about um, age appropriately with my girls talking about we have some conversations about you're responsible for the way you feel. I'm responsible for the way that I feel. Um, and again, as they just act like sisters and, you know, sometimes have a ball together and then turn around and they're just raging mad at each other. Yes. Talking through that again in an age appropriate way. But, um, you know, I hear I hear you, Zoe, that you're mad at Rebecca. It's OK that you're upset, but it's not OK that you're screaming. You need mm -hmm. to go take a breather. Let's take a break from each other and we'll come back and we'll talk about this a little bit later. Again, so simple. And I'm not talking about consent and I'm not saying boundaries. I'm just talking them through because I'm the adult in the room. Right. Talking them through. Your feelings are OK, but we have to think about what we do with those. Right, right. And you may sometimes want to play with your sister and she doesn't want to play and she doesn't have to. You may want to hug sometimes and your sister doesn't want to. She doesn't have to. Um, and so hopefully um, helping them kind of think about. Right. It's building um, it's almost building individuality mm -hmm. in in kids. And, and while it seems young to think about kids being individuals they, they are oh yeah and at the same time you think it's taking away the socialness of a person like it's because girls are maybe seen as like the more social maybe like mm -hmm. take care of other people yeah. right but at the same time it's creating a more healthy communication i like that definitely yeah um and even you know an, an area where again sometimes there's some interesting conversation is like in interactions with family and somebody had published an article um, several years ago, but about um, how this parent was saying, I don't force my children to hug when we're interacting with family. And I've talked with my family about that. And there was some pushback to that. But sure. again, at the end of the day, I'm quite capable as a parent of teaching my children to be respectful and to greet our family members when we go see family without demanding that they give hugs if they don't want right, to. Right. Um, that's a way for me to honor their boundaries 
and still they can still act right. (laughs) You know, in my job, when I meet a new colleague, you know, if somebody told me I had to hug them, I would have very pointed words in response (laughs) to that. Right. Like I right. I greet people all the time and I am, I think, you know, warm and comfortable without making physical contact like it is possible with our children as well. It's hard to think about in the South. Right. Yeah, it <laughs> is. We're all it about is. hugs. Yeah. And my kids are generally huggers, you know, but if there's a time or reason for that, for whatever reason, they don't want to hug. We don't make them and our family doesn't push it. You know, they are welcome to just say hello or goodbye or do high fives or fist bumps or, you know, whatever. Like there's yeah. lots of ways that we can be respectful of and be kind towards people without demanding that somebody make themselves uncomfortable really is what it comes down to without demanding that someone make themselves uncomfortable um, for the sake of another person, because that's not a good lesson. Um, You know, and none of us intentionally ever, again, if we're healthy people, none of us is ever intentionally going to teach our children that their feelings don't matter for the sake of somebody else. But sometimes we may inadvertently do that. If Mm -hmm. we're saying you go over and you hug so-and-so, what are we really saying? We're saying you're obviously uncomfortable and I don't care. You go do this thing because the way this person feels is more important. And again, it's okay to expect of our children that they are respectful, but that doesn't have to include physical contact. It doesn't have to include them, uh, you know, engaging in a behavior with which they are uncomfortable Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah yes that definitely makes sense it's almost this cycle of well you're teaching that you're teaching your kid that sometimes their feelings don't matter so you should give in to what the other person is feeling when when it's really about establishing yourself as uh, an individual and you are okay if you want to make this decision Mm -hmm. um that you that makes you uncomfortable that that makes you uncomfortable so you can make a decision to say I'm not going to do that right now. I care about you, but I don't want to do that right now. Yep. That's I think that's the overarching kind of lesson to be to be taught when talking about consent and personal boundaries and and having your own bodily autonomy. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, what what would you say are the most important things about consent that people should know? Great question. I know there's like uh, the concept in itself is important to know, but are there kind of pinpoints that you should know about consent, whether it be romantic or platonic? You know, I think one of the big things is to, again, recognize most of us already do this pretty well. Um, You know, I think sometimes people almost maybe feel a little nervous about like, oh, am I doing this right or am I going to get this right? And I don't want to cause harm and things are weird now. And, you know, no, they're not like you probably are pretty respectful of other people's boundaries Mm -hmm. most of the time. Like most of us do that most days pretty well. And again, in sort of our everyday interactions, we're thoughtful as we're asking people for their time, their attention, as we're entering their space. Things as simple as, um, I don't just barge into a colleague's office if I want to ask them something and their doors open. I ask, hey, do you have a couple minutes I can chat with you about this? Um, Or would it be better for me to come back later? Right. Like most of us, I think most of the time are probably doing just fine. (laughs) And it never hurts to just check in with ourselves about am I being respectful And again, sort of in all of our interactions with other people, certainly outside of just sex, am I being respectful in the way I'm handling this? Am I 
keeping healthy and the way that I'm handling. Could I do this a little bit different or a little bit better or be a little healthier? Um, and if we're unsure, maybe checking in with somebody about that, asking a close friend or, you know, if you're in counseling, asking your counselor, hey, this thing happened. And I just wonder, like, did I handle this well? Should I maybe have done something differently with this? Um, and certainly in in our intimate interactions, always just being willing if we think we might sense some hesitation, if something feels a little off, just being willing to check in, to yeah. ask, being willing to just walk away and leave it alone if we're unsure, because we always want to make a mistake on the side of protecting someone else and being respectful right. instead of causing harm. And again, most of us are going to do that pretty naturally. That's what we want to do. And if there's ever a question, make the mistake in the right direction of being right. respectful and protective. Sense. Yeah. So I we talked majority about consent, bodily autonomy, and boundary setting and personal boundaries. Is there any other point you'd like to like listeners to know about when we're talking about this topic that we haven't already talked about um we've talked about so much um <laughs> I, I think know. yeah i think we've covered most of it but just you know again like if you have questions or if there's ever a situation you feel kind of uncomfortable about and you want to talk about it, you know, this is a reminder for our students on campus. Mm -hmm. You have access to counseling services while you're a student. Um, call us, come by, make an appointment. We have students who come in from everything from a, a one time. Literally, I have this one thing I kind of want to process with somebody who's not my family, not a friend, <laughs> right. you know, who will come in for one session to students who come in over the course of multiple semesters. So that is always an option really for anything certainly. But, um, you know, if there's ever something kind of within this realm of what we're talking about that you're wondering about or struggling with or unsure about, you know, come talk to one of us, um, invite us yeah. in. If you belong to an organization, you think this might be a helpful thing for my group to hear about or for us to have some conversation about, invite us in. We'd be happy to do a presentation or a workshop or facilitate some discussion. Um, I'm really grateful that our community is willing to engage in these topics. Again, they're not always easy and sometimes they're uncomfortable. And again, most of us are getting it right most of the time. We call that in the mental health world the healthy majority. Most of us <laughs> belong to that group. We we have a club. You didn't even know it, but we're in the club together. Um, <laughs> most of us are doing just fine, but mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt for us to be talking about it and sort of checking ourselves and sort of just being a little bit diligent as we're out socializing and living our social lives so that if we see a problem, again, we can try to interrupt it before somebody does get hurt when one of those few people who is willing to cause harm is in the midst. Right. Most of us are not that person. And if we're paying attention, if we're being really thoughtful, we can shut that person down when they show up. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, right. And uh, for listeners who are interested in possibly using the services at Student Counseling Services, I am going to link all of their information in the description, um, where, wherever the description is, it's below uh, wherever you're uh, listening. But I'm going to link that as well as some other resources that I found. One popular resource that uh, comes up a lot when you're talking about consent is a specific tea video, mm -hmm. uh, like drinking tea. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to link that below. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. It's, it's pretty cool and it's a, it's a good way to really think about consent. I've also included a consent for kids down there. If you listeners maybe are around kids or 
um, that you may be teaching or your parents or your aunts, uncles, whatever, that you you maybe want to start teaching those just small concepts that uh, Karis was talking about. Just like, okay, you are, um, you maybe want to hug right now, but maybe your friend doesn't. So we're going to let them be themselves and you be yourself and you can handle it on your own for right now. If you want to start teaching that stuff, I'll, I'll link them in the description as well but this this was kind of a, a big topic in to conceptualize and, and really get a hold of but there's there's plenty of more information out there like I said I, I've linked some some resources in the description but for now uh, if you want any updates on the show you just follow the social media pages at 100.7 the planet on Facebook Instagram Twitter we also have a TikTok now if you want updates via that Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Karis, for coming and talking to us. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And until next time, folks, be safe and take care. This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Brianna Blanks. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.